0: I'd like to have a special moment with the children. So if you're here in the sanctuary and you want to join me up here, you have to go around. There you go. There's a little opening right there. And if you're at home, just get a little closer to your screens and we'll wave at you. So good to see everybody. Come on down. Welcome, welcome, and welcome those of you who are at home. Every once in a while it happens in a family or a friendship or a church that we disagree with each other about something. Sometimes we get into arguments with each other. It happens. Well, I want to tell you a story about a brother and a sister and something they disagreed about and how it worked out. Once upon a time there was a girl named Lily and she was in the third grade, and she had a little brother in the first grade whose name was Daniel. And on Friday nights, their family had movie night where they'd get pizza, and then they would take turns picking the movie that the family was gonna watch. And Lily was really excited. She'd been thinking about it all day because it was her Friday night, and she knew what she wanted to see. She wanted to see The Lion King. Have any of you seen The Lion King? Yes, great movie. She was so excited about it. So she got home, and she announced to her family, I want to see The Lion King tonight. And her little brother Daniel went, Hmm. Oh. And at first she was kind of angry. She thought that her little brother was going to try and argue with her about what movie to watch. And it was her turn, and she wanted to watch The Lion King. But then her mom leaned over and said, Daniel had a hard day. And Lily looked, and she could see that her brother's eyes were kind of red. He'd been crying, you know. And the mother said, he fell on the playground and skinned his knee. He got into an argument with his best friend, and he had to sit by himself at lunch. He's just feeling really sad. And so Lily thought about it. And she decided that she wanted to do something to make her brother happy. So she said, you know what? Daniel, you can have my turn. What movie do you want to watch tonight? And he smiled really big and said, I want to watch Cars. And so they watched Cars that night, and Daniel was really happy. And you know, Lily did that because she loved her brother. It was her turn. She had every right to say, no, it's my turn. I want to watch The Lion King. But because she loved her brother, she gave him a turn instead. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you so much that you love us, and you invite us to love other people. One of the ways that we can love people is to do like Lily did, to do something to make them happy, and not always to insist on our own way. Help us to love you and to love everybody, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening, you all. If you are three, four, or five years old and you wanna go to Children's Chapel, there's Pastor Maggie and Pastor Katie, and they will take you to the chapel. If you are three, you can go right with them. Thanks for listening. It is true that every now and then we disagree. In a family, In a relationship, even in the church. Sometimes there's conflict. I would like to think that somewhere out there, across the ages, across the world, there has been one relationship, one friendship, one church where there was never a disagreement or never any conflict. But I think that's pretty impossible. It's human nature. It's the nature of human community that we come from different places with different perspective and perspectives and opinions and there are always going to be things that we disagree about. And that's actually a beautiful thing. That's part of our uniqueness in the way God has created us. The question is, how do we treat one another when we disagree? How do we walk through conflict and disagreement? And that's the question that Paul is wrestling with in his letter to the Corinthians today. There was a moment, maybe. In the life of the early church, we hear about it in the book of Acts really early on when Luke tells us all the believers in Jerusalem were of one heart and one mind and they even had shared all of their property with each other. But that didn't last very long. Just a few chapters later, they're holding their first church council to try and make some decisions about things that they're in disagreement about. There's conflict about how the new Gentile Christians ought to be included in the ways of the church. And much of the New Testament is spent with Paul dealing in many of his letters with many different churches with conflict in those churches. And he's trying to guide them and teach them about how to be followers of Jesus and navigate these differences between ourselves. Perhaps one of the most conflicted churches was the church in Corinth. They had all sorts of disagreements happening in Corinth. It's understandable because they were a a congregation that was diverse in a very diverse and pluralistic city. There were people in the church who were wealthy and prosperous alongside people who were poor and enslaved. There were men and women and people of all ages and all different perspectives, and here they were, brand new Christians, trying to figure out how to navigate their differences, and live faithfully according to the gospel. Most scholars think that there were people in Corinth who wrote a letter to Paul and that his letters to the Corinthians are responses to some of their questions. And we can tell from Paul's letter some of the questions they're dealing with. we got this going on, we got this going on, we're having a disagreement about this. Paul, please tell us what to do. The text that Frank read for us might have been a little hard to make sense of Without knowing some of the context. The question they were asking Paul was, is it okay to eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol in one of the Roman temples? Is it okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? Simple question, yes or no, Paul. And there were two different groups, two different opinions. On the one hand, there were those who said, it's fine. We know that idols aren't real, these aren't actual gods that are being worshipped, they're fake. And so it's just meat, and it's perfectly fine to eat it. It doesn't change our relationship with God. God knows, and God knows our hearts. On the other hand, there were those, particularly those who had been part of that practice of the Roman religion, They had spent time worshiping those other Roman gods and those idols, and for them to think about eating meat that had been sacrificed to those gods really shook their faith. And so they disagreed, and they weren't sure what to do. And so they asked Paul, is it okay to eat the meat that's been sacrificed to idols or not? Now before we dig into Paul's answer, there's another layer to the conversation that I think it's important to note. Most scholars think that that those who were in the pro-meat category, the meat eaters, were more likely people of wealth, people who had power in the community, had power in the conversation, who had the influence enough to insist on their own way. These were folks who would have been able to afford meat in the first place. You see, in these temples, when there was a sacrifice of an animal, there was some of the meat that would be used in worship, but the rest of it would get sold in the marketplace. Or there were these other rooms in the temples that were used for banquet halls and wedding feasts. And so among the wealthy, it wasn't unusual to get an invitation to someone's wedding or someone's dinner party where they would serve meat that had been used in worship in these temples. So for them, it was just part of their life. They thought about it, they understood it, it was fine. For those who were against it, most of them couldn't afford meat. Maybe once a year they would eat meat. They would never get an invitation to a wedding or a banquet in any of these places. It wasn't part of their experience and so they didn't understand. And for whatever reason, these two groups weren't bearing their hearts to one another. And sharing why it was important to each side. And so there's conflict. And so they turn to Paul. What should we do, Paul? Is it okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols or not? Yes or no? And just like Jesus, Paul doesn't answer the question. So often, Jesus is given this yes or no kind of question, and he goes somewhere else with it. And that's just what Paul does. I can imagine the Corinthian church gathered around to hear Paul's letter and the first thing they hear makes it sound like he's given an answer. At first, it sounds like he's saying, of course it's fine. We all have this knowledge that the idols are not real and so whether we eat or not, it doesn't matter. So you can see the meat eaters saying, yes, 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 we won, in your face. Winners and losers. But then Paul says, but, Consider. Consider, especially those of you who have more power in the community, how it's affecting your more vulnerable brothers and sisters and siblings in Christ. Do you not know that if they see you eating meat in the temple of Diana or the temple of Apollo, it will shake them to the core? You notice Paul doesn't say it will offend them. It doesn't seem like he's that worried about people's sensibilities getting offended. He says what your actions are could destroy them. Think of the harm that you might be doing to someone that you're called to love in Christ, to your family in Christ. As he goes on, he never says, don't do it. He just invites them to consider one another, to think about what their love for each other calls them to do and not to do. It's as if he's saying, it's one thing to be right. It's another thing to be in relationship. Yes, you have your personal freedom. You have the freedom to choose to eat meat if you want to. But consider your effect on others consider the common good and the well-being of the body. Now it's tempting to take a section like this from Paul's letter to the Corinthians and just pick it up as a cookie cutter and plunk it down on some of the issues that we struggle with and we disagree about in our day. I don't think it's that simple. I think it's something that we have to wrestle with and think through with complexity and conversation. But I do think Paul's invitation to put love first can guide us in many of the conversations we have in which we disagree. I'll just pick one example. You wanna talk about these for a second? Mask wearing right now is, is a very divisive conversation in our culture. I have friends who've walked into places wearing a mask and had someone look at them and call them a sheep. I've had people who maybe forgot their mask or were walking outside without a mask and they get stared at and shouted down by someone. We have these, this division about should we wear masks or not, when or where. And that decision can be one that's made out of love or made for other reasons. You all know that as a congregation, with the guidance of our COVID task force, we're doing the best we can to make a loving choice. So I'm vaccinated, I've gotten my booster shot. The chances are minuscule that if I got COVID, I would get seriously ill or go into the hospital. In one way, I'm free. You know, I'm free to go without a mask. It's not going to hurt me that much. But as I consider the more vulnerable in our community, those who have uh, weaker immune systems, those children between ages 2 and 5 who can't get the vaccine, it's a loving choice that I make to wear a mask because I might have COVID and not know it. I could be spreading it to people who are vulnerable, in ways that I am not. And so for me and for us as a congregation, we have discerned that while this Omicron variant is all around us and so contagious, it's a loving thing to wear a mask when we're together. It's inconvenient. It's a pain. It gets tangled up in my microphone and pulls off my little pop shield. It's annoying, but I can put up with annoyance for the good of a brother or sister or sibling in the faith or in my community. Now, it's possible to wear a mask out in the world for other reasons, because I want to make a point. Or it's possible for me to look upon another person who's not wearing their mask without knowing their reasons for not doing so and judge them and condemn them and dismiss them and be angry and resentful. That's so much a part of this moment that we're all in. But the question Paul raises to me is, what does love invite us to do? To be sure, there is a place for accountability, for loving accountability. And we're going to talk more about that next week to have honest conversations around things like this. But when it comes to my heart and my posture toward others and my attitude toward others and my heart toward others, what does love ask of me? We do live in a moment that is pretty divided. There's a lot of conflict and argument and controversy and people on one side or the other but we are the body of Christ and we are defined by our posture of love agape love that is a reflection of God's love toward us and so we can do all the right things but if we do not have love, if we do not do them out of love we've missed the point it sounds a lot like Paul If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, if I give away my possessions and my body so that I may boast, if I have all knowledge and all faith, if I am on the right side of all the issues of my day, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Love first, love always. Amen.